I'm Luke Gradless. I have the great honor of being the pastor here at Harmony along with Brother Joe Canales. Uh, we're so glad you're here on April Fool's Day. It really packs them in. I, I never knew April Fool's Day was such a big church attendance day. But we're glad you're here. Um, it's been an awesome week. If you guys don't understand like the pastor world, this is like Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, and actually, like, all week's been like Super Bowl week. We had Wednesday prayer service. We had Thursday Lord's Supper. We had Friday Good Friday service. Saturday, we had a picnic, which obviously you can tell was me being outside. Um, it's funny. The bulb thing's new for me. So I am not used to the fact that I need sunscreen for all of this real estate up here. I mean, granted, as a balding man, there was a, a large portion back here that needed to be taken care of for years, but there's just so much more real estate now, and I did not take care of it well yesterday. So I will be looking like a lobster probably next week, but it was all fun, had a blast. Thank you to everybody who participated. It was just a, a great, awesome time of fellowship. Um, as we jump in today, Today we're talking, of course, about Easter, and we're talking about Resurrection Sunday. Uh, it's funny, as Christians, right, everybody on Easter wants to celebrate the resurrection, but the reality of our lives is every single day is a celebration of the resurrection. Amen. And today what we're going to talk about is how Resurrection Sunday is the biggest day of the year as Christians. It's bigger than Christmas. It's bigger than any other event, because on this day, Jesus fully declared who he was. And it's on this day that he changed history. And I love that because that's a definitive statement you can take with you anywhere you go. Even atheist historians will tell you that no human being ever has been as influential as this Jewish carpenter who for three years led a public ministry. Nobody else has ever changed the course of history like him. And today we're going to talk a little bit about what Resurrection Sunday means to us and what it means specifically about the identity of Jesus Christ. Um, did anybody remember back in kindergarten show and tell? Did you guys do that? So uh, when I was in kindergarten, my first time, long story, I, I was a good student. I was not so bad that I had to go to kindergarten twice. At least that's what my parents tell me, which I don't know if they're just saving the pride or what. But anyway, I went to kindergarten twice. One year in December, I had forgotten to bring something to show. So I decided that I would tell. And I grew up in a house where if you asked questions, you got real answers. Like my dad, it was just, you ask a question, you get the truth. And often I remember my mom being like, Jim, he's only five, right? Like my dad didn't care. You just get the straight up answer. So in my house, we didn't believe, I see some young children. We didn't believe that there was a rather large man with a big beard who wore red that flew around, you know, in December, if you know what I'm saying. I don't want to break any dreams yet for people. So I decided, since I didn't have anything to show, I would explain this and tell to my entire class. Now what was funny is, my dad, when he explained things, was very, very thorough. It wasn't simply like, oh no, that guy doesn't exist. It was like, let's break this down. Let's talk about all the ways that this is illogical to believe in this thing happening. And I remembered pretty much everything he said. So during the show and tell, I took questions. I made sure everybody understood the points. By the end of show and tell, there were children crying in class. There were kids who went home and their parents tried to correct what I had shown them and they couldn't get the kids to believe them again. So the following year, my second year of kindergarten, the teacher took my parents aside and said, please don't have Luke tell. 
anything. He, he could show, but please no tell. Because I can't talk to crying parents and kids anymore about how you've wrecked 10 years of childhood. And so I was banned from telling from that point forward. But I'll tell you, the reason I always appreciated my father doing that is, is there is a moment where when you, you talk about Easter Bunny and Tooth Fairy and Santa Claus, there's a moment where your child starts to realize all these significant characters in their life are just that, characters. And what my dad never wanted to have happen was in that moment as I watched these heroes of my childhood pass by that I would start to wonder, well, who else isn't real? Maybe that Jesus guy is just another fairy tale. In fact, it's funny, I have to watch this at my own house. We're, we're a big superhero family, and so this week, Jake, the two-year-old, was playing superheroes. And I was pretending that I was the Joker, which if you don't know the Joker, he's, he's a bad guy in the Batman stories. And I was beating him up, and he goes, oh yeah, I'm Jesus. Go away, bad guy. Jesus beats all the bad guys, Dad. <laughs> And I was like, cool that he knows Jesus could beat all the bad guys. Bad that he thinks Jesus and Batman are the same. <laughs> we might need to correct that in the household. I don't want superheroes in Jesus to be in the same place. We want to make sure that these are different to us. And the reason I'm sharing this with you is, to be honest, there's a lot of adults that treat Jesus no differently than Batman. We don't even argue whether he was actually real because some people don't even find value in it. They look at him more as a philosophical character, a man of great morals and great philosophy that taught some wise things and is a great example to us of how to live. It doesn't really matter if he was that. It doesn't really matter if he did all those things. That has become one of the greatest lies in our culture is not to argue whether Jesus existed or not, but to just say it's not a big deal whether he was the son of God or not. I want to start today by sharing a quote with you from C.S. Lewis. It's a long quote, but I want you to follow his logic because I feel it's so brilliant. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. That's Jesus. They say, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. Amen. So he's saying there's always people who want to go, yeah, yeah, Jesus, yeah, great teacher, great guy. He's going, we can't stand for that. Why? A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. Now it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend, and consequently, However strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. Amen. And so C.S. Lewis's logic is, look, a lot of you want to ignore the fact of who Jesus is. A lot of people we run into want to get away from the argument by just saying, hey, I agree with you, he was a great guy. 
really wise, really smart, great moral teaching. We don't need to get into all the details. Well, C.S. Lewis says you can't say that. This man walked around and said that he was God. This man said that he was worthy of worship. This man said that he was eternal. A man who says those things and is not those things is not a good moral man. And for us to pretend that he is, is us skirting the entire argument about who Jesus Christ is. We have to understand that the most important thing about you and I is who we say he is in our lives. And trying to skirt around the issue doesn't help anyone. Jesus was unbelievably clear about who he was. John 10.30, he said this, I and the Father are one. I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? See, he says to these people, he says to the Pharisees, I and the Father are one. And their response is, is to try to kill him. And he says, why? And they said, we're not stoning you for any good work, but for blasphemy because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Pharisees can stand for it. You want to stand here and you want to tell us, you flesh and bone person, that you're God. We won't stand for that. In John 8.58, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Saying, before this man who lived thousands of years ago and was your father of your religion, I am. And it's funny because we don't speak Hebrew, but we miss in this that there's unbelievable power. Because when he says, I am, he's not just stating he existed before then. He's using the name of God. When God introduces himself in the Old Testament, he says, I am the I am, Yahweh. And so in this moment, Jesus goes, I'm eternal, I am God. It's who he claims to be. John 14, 6, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. His point, am I a good teacher you should follow? No, I'm everything. I am everything. I'm not just something you add to your life. I'm not just someone you listen to advice and guidance. I am the way you live. I am the truth of your life. And in fact, I am life. And at the end of his life, When it finally came down to it, and he was brought to trial, he was asked specifically in Mark 14, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Asked directly, Are you the Son of God? And he says, I am. Throughout all of Scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament, one truth is proclaimed. And that is, is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Messiah, the one that came to die for our sins. That's the claim. Now why as Christians then do we celebrate Easter? Because Easter is the proof of the claim. See, all the rest of the time it's been set to us that this Messiah would come. That there would be one without sin. A man who had no weakness, no blemish. A man who could stand against evil, who could stand against death and be victorious. And in this, many people had put their hope. In fact, Jesus wasn't the first. In fact, if you study history, 
Jewish history, there were many men who came before Christ that said they were the Messiah. But you know what separated those men from Jesus? Is when all of those men would be persecuted and killed, guess what? They didn't come back. And when they didn't come back, you know what happened to their movement? It disappeared. What Resurrection Sunday proved to us is that the truth Jesus had proclaimed, the hope that God had been calling for since the beginning of time, had actually happened in front of us. Amen. That the Son of God had come to earth and that there He was in such majesty and power that not even death could hold Him back. If you have your Bibles, open up with me. Let's go to Matthew 28. And let's read about Resurrection Sunday. Matthew 28, verse 1. It says, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And there they will see me. It's funny, no matter how many times Jesus in his life explained to his followers that he would die and that he would come back, when it actually happened, they all forgot. Over and over again, he proclaimed to them that this was going to happen. This was his mission. This was his purpose. That he had come to be the sacrifice. That he had to die to wash us clean. But that he would come back. Amen. And yet after dozens of times of talking about it, still on this day, his followers, his most devoted ones, show up and are shocked. Shocked that he's not here. And the reason for that is when a man defeats death, there's no other explanation. You can find great philosophers. You can find great public speakers. You can find great storytellers. You can find great teachers. You can find people who are good at healing folks. But you don't find people that defeat death. Amen. That doesn't just happen. That kind of thing changes everything. Now what's funny is some people throughout history have tried to argue whether the resurrection happened. They've tried to argue whether it actually was a realistic event because what they know is if it happened, there's no way to talk around it. If the resurrection's real, you're only left with one truth, that this is a man unlike any other man before. This is a man who controls life and death. And the only being we know to do that is God. 
And why the resurrection is so important to us is because of the truth in 1 Corinthians 15. It says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we've testified about God that He raised Christ. What's Paul saying? All of Christianity hangs on this one truth. Everything is about Jesus coming back from the dead. Everything that we know about Him, everything we preach, every hope we have is in this. And even worse, if He didn't come back, we should be afraid. Because our whole lives, we've been telling people God did this, and if He didn't do it, I do not want to stand before the Almighty explaining why I've been lying about His works. Everything's about the resurrection. Now, you know what my favorite thing about those who say the resurrection didn't happen is, is I love their arguments that refute it. Because let's be honest, right? This didn't just happen. Right? This is thousands of years ago. So you'd think thousands of years ago, if you'd line up the very best arguments against the resurrection, they'd be pretty impressive, right? I mean, it's not like you've only had five minutes to come up with an argument here. You've had thousands of years and some of the most brilliant minds looking at it and explaining to us why we don't put faith in it. Let me show you some of the biggest reasons people say the resurrection didn't happen. These are the non-resurrection theories. Number one is... It's all just a legend. This is just a fictional account of what happened. It's not real. That's what people say. Do you know what the problem with that is? Is that nothing else in history backs that up. Like if you study other religions, you understand why people think they're legends. In Hindi, they believed that the world was created on the back of a giant turtle. And so as we develop science and could actually see our planet and realize it wasn't on the back of a turtle, we started to go, oh, that, that may not actually be factual historical things there. With Christianity, this document is not presented as anything other than truth. And every other historical document we have backs it up. All these people are real. All these people lived in history. All these people, whether Christian or non-Christian, historians go, no, we know they existed. And the one thing that confuses everybody about history is if Jesus didn't raise from the grave, how do you explain what happened? Before Jesus' resurrection, how would we describe his followers? The moment Jesus is arrested, what do these men do? They turn tail and run. His most ardent follower, Peter, the most bold and brash one, three times in less than 24 hours, denies that he even knows Jesus. Yet for some reason, five days later, the disciples of Jesus become an unbelievable force that are willing to be tortured, murdered, and have everything taken from them to stand by the testimony that Jesus is God. What changed? Why before the cross, when death was threatened to them, they run terrified? But after Easter, all of a sudden you can't make these men move. After Easter, you can threaten them with anything and everything, and not a one of them will refute that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The other problem is no legend has ever changed history. 
the most impactful moment in all of mankind is the resurrection of Christ. Whether you think it's real or not, nothing has changed the world like Christianity. Why? There's millions of legends, but only one has changed the course of all history. The second theory is the swoon theory. I love that name, swoon theory. This theory states Jesus didn't die on the cross. He just passed out. Then he woke up in the grave and left. Now, I want you to think about this one for a second because I don't even know how this has like, lived for a while. Jesus didn't die accidentally. He had a group of very powerful men who wanted him dead. So much so that after they crucified him, they pierced his side to make sure he was dead. Then, after he was dead, they put him in a tomb that they sealed and put Roman soldiers by it to make sure he didn't raise from the dead. And what we're supposed to believe is Jesus, who had been flogged almost to the point of death, put on a cross to death, stabbed in the side to death, was then put in a tomb and wrapped up, revived himself, rolled back a stone, defeated some Roman soldiers, and left. And then, oh, by the way, what happened for the rest of his life? What, did he go into hiding? Why would he continue to preach? Why would he continue to teach? Third one, long tomb. I love this one. Because if you're grown up, you've lost someone you love. What this theory states is that all the people of Jesus forgot where he was buried and went to the wrong tomb. So Easter Sunday, Jesus was still in the same tomb. All the people just went to the wrong grave. Now I've buried some people, and what I can tell you is, is even when there ain't a tombstone, I remember where the people I love are. And what I can also tell you is if he was really dead and his body was really in a tomb, when a movement began that the Romans wanted to squash, do you know what the best way to end it would have been? to go grab the body of Jesus and show it to everybody. Oh, your Jesus is alive? No, he's not. We got him right here. The Romans, for a hundred years, tried to crush Christianity. And you know what they never produced, not once, is the body of Christ. Why? Why not? Because they didn't have it. Fourth one. And all of these, I'll just run through them faster. They're, they're, they're absurd. The substitute theory. The disciples snuck another person into Jesus' spot, and that's who got killed. So again, the most powerful people in Israel want Jesus dead, and somehow, the disciples who'd run got a body double in place, and he's the one that died. Then we have the disciples stole the body. So in this one... Here's what happened. The guys who were so afraid when Jesus got arrested, they ran away, bolstered up their confidence, overcame a Roman battalion, stole the body, and then made up this whole myth. And then died for it, by the way. Every single one of the disciples, except one, was brutally murdered. And do you know what they could never get them to do? Was refute the resurrection story. Amen. They could torture them. They could hurt them, they could kill them, they could hurt their families. And those men would never admit anything other than that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. 
The sixth one, death was a hoax. Jesus didn't die. It was all faked. Which again, why? Why would the Romans help with that? Why would the Pharisees help with that? Why would even the disciples fake that? Remember, the disciples didn't want Jesus to die. When he told them he was going to die, they said no. The seventh one, I like this one. It was just a hallucination. Hundreds of people, all at the same time, in the same place, had the exact same hallucination. Which again, if you're the Romans and you want to disprove, what do you do? You bring out Jesus' body. And you go, he's dead. We have him. The same one is just a, a more positive take on it. It wasn't a hallucination. It was spiritual. Spiritual people spiritually saw Jesus. Again, where's the body? Brothers and sisters, what I want you to see, and you can research far more than this is, there's only one explanation for what happened that day. There's only one explanation for why a Jewish uneducated carpenter who had a three-year ministry changed the course of history. It's because he wasn't a mere man. It's because he was God. It's because when he faced death, he overcame it. It's because in him was the power of creation that was able to wipe out everything else. It's because that wasn't a normal person. And as much as people have tried to argue it throughout all of history, this is the best you get of saying it didn't happen. Now, brothers and sisters, I have a reason why none of these matter. And it's better than any other piece of evidence I could prove to you. It's because I've met Jesus. Amen. If you're actually a Christian, you know what you know? You know Him. Thank you, Father. You've been in His presence. You've heard His voice. And you know He's real. And brothers and sisters, what I want you to think about on this morning is who do you say He is? I think some of us, we've settled for this logic that He was just a great moral teacher. Good guy. That's some pretty wise things he said. You know, we all like that golden rule thing. That was pretty nice. But there's some of us that are not living in the truth that he was the Son of God. That he came to this earth and died on a cross to wipe out our sins. That three days later, he rose from that death in the power of God, not only to live a new life, but to give you and I new life. That's the truth. It's the only thing that makes sense. Flip with me to John chapter 2. In John chapter 2, the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? They wanted proof that he was the Son of God. And Jesus said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But he wasn't speaking about the temple. He was speaking about the temple of his body. Amen. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Amen. What changed those men? is that they realized everything he'd been saying had been true. And in Jesus, what they found was a relationship that gave them completely new life. 
Brothers and sisters, some of us have accepted a Christ in our lives that's just a nice additive. He's a comforter in times that are weak. He's a nice thing to pray to. He's maybe someone we go to for advice or wisdom here and there. But there are many of us that have ignored exactly who He is. There's many of us that don't wake up each day, fall down on our knees and call Him Lord. See, Jesus didn't come just to give you wisdom. He didn't come just to give you love. He came to be your Lord and Savior. He came to lead you day in and day out. And what that means is we've got to stop this act of living life like everybody else who doesn't even believe in Him, except for maybe we show up at church every Sunday. And we have to start living like we're different. How you do that is you understand the power of the resurrection. You realize that you follow God. And when that sinks into your heart, it changes the direction that you move. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. That word eternal, it's actually more beautiful than we think of it. The actual native language of it gives both a quantitative and a qualitative element to it. See, when you and I think of eternal, we think of long. But that word actually meant not only long, but beautiful. It meant that this life that we get from Him just isn't long in duration. It is a full, abundant life. There's some of you, Jesus is just your fire insurance. He's someone you hope you know well enough that if things go bad, you get to go to the good place. If there's a good place. It's not what He wanted to give you. What He offers is a life-changing relationship. That's something that you have to die to get to first. But something that every single day of your life changes you. That from the very moment you acknowledge Him as Lord and Savior, everything in your life is different. I'll be honest, the only thing I can compare it to for people who don't know it is having a child. I remember my dad telling me when we were expecting our first, you just don't understand, son. You don't know how much you're going to love them. You, you don't understand how they will change you. And I remember thinking like, ah, you know, I got a lot of people I love in my life and I mean, I can't be that different. And you know what's crazy? And like, three seconds of holding that child in my arms, I realized this was unlike anything else. It changed your actions. It changed the way you think. It changes everything about your life. So much so that when you try to think back to before them, I don't even really know what I did back then. I don't know how I thought back then. I don't, I don't remember what life was like before that. That's what it's like when you know Christ. It's not that you learn some new rules to apply to your life. It's not like you adopt some new philosophy that changes the way you think. It's you experiencing a relationship that gives you a brand new heart. And it changes everything.
Some of you are settling for so little. You're settling for a new rule, a new moral code. Stop. Turn your eyes to Jesus and see Him. Really experience God. One of my favorite authors and pastors, A.W. Tozer, said this. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I like to change this up a little bit. I like to say, what comes into our minds when we think about Jesus is the most important thing about us. The reason I say that is a lot of faiths have a God. In our faith, Jesus is the one that personifies Him to the point that we understand His personality, His love. That we understand what it's like to have a God who gets being human. You know, our Jesus, He knows what it's like to be cold. He knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows what it's like to be betrayed and to be ridiculed. He knows what it's like to walk in your shoes. Because He did. I was going to put my name there, but then I thought that's kind of arrogant to quote yourself, right? But I want you to think about that for a second. If God were to stand before you today and say, Who is Jesus? What would you really say? Not the Bible answers you know you're supposed to say. What would you really say about who Jesus is? Would you sit there and call him some great moral teacher? A wonderful example of how to be moral and loving? Would you say he didn't even exist? He's just some man that a bunch of guys decided to make a legend about because it gave them power and influence? Or would you stand there and would you say, that is the Son of God. That's my Lord. That's my Savior. That's my best friend. It's the person I love more than anybody else in this world. Amen. Would you be able to talk about him that way? If you can't, you're missing it. You're missing it. He is the greatest relationship in the world. And all he wants is you. So much so that he came to die with you. Talk to Him. Experience Him. See Him full in His wonderful face. And I promise you, the moment you've seen that, your life will be changed in ways you can't even describe. Amen. It's funny, I talk a lot. I talk a lot about Jesus. I have never found the words to fully describe what he means to me. I wish I could. I wish I could. But he's beyond words. He's more than that. He's only something you can know and hear. I'll leave you with one last verse. In Romans 10, it says, If you declare with your mouth... Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead 
you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Brothers and sisters, you're not getting to heaven because of the good things you do. You get to heaven by knowing Him. You get to heaven by knowing that He is God. You get to heaven by proclaiming in your words and in your actions that that's your Lord. That not only did He save you on that cross, but He's your Lord. And every day you follow Him. If you don't know God like that, I encourage you to reach out to Him. I promise you, if you knock on His door, He'll answer. If you call Him, He'll respond. We have an awesome God. And the most beautiful thing about Him is not anything He can give you. It's Him. He's so amazing. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, as we come before you, Lord, I just pray that this is a room full of people who have seen your son, Jesus. Father, that Jesus isn't just someone we've read about, heard about, studied. But that Jesus is our dearest friend. That he's our shepherd, Lord, that when he calls, we know his voice. And Father, not only is he our Savior, but he's our Lord. Each and every day we follow. God, I will never understand why you loved us so much to sacrifice your son for us. But I thank you that you did. Father, thank you for letting wretches like us be your children. Thank you for the faith and hope and joy that we have in your son Jesus. Thank you for the power of the resurrection and for the family of God that you built around him. Father, I pray that if there are any there today who do not know your Son as Lord, I pray, Father, that they'll meet him and see how wonderful he is. Father God, in your Son's wonderful name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask Brother James to come to the front. I'll be down as well. If there's anything in your life that you just need prayer for, that you want to know somebody else is praying about that thing with you. Feel free to come forward and share that with us. At the same time, if you're in that place where you don't know if you've met Jesus and you're interested in it, seek one of us out. We can talk to you more about it. And always, feel free, if you don't want to walk the aisle now, you can find us any other time. See us after service, call us, whatever. We're always glad to talk to you about these things. Let's take a few moments to pray.
streams of grace flow deep and wide where all the love I've ever found comes like a flood comes flowing down at the cross at the cross I surrender my life I'm in all of you I'm in all of you where you love ran ran and my sin washed white I owe all to you I owe all to people said? Amen. Amen. Man, what a week. What an awesome week. It's my favorite week of the year. I'll tell you, I'm exhausted. <laughs> Ready to go home and go to sleep, but I have a, a two-month-old, so that's not going to happen. Um, 
I just want to thank everybody for making this week so special. It is my favorite holiday because this is the one that belongs solely to Christians. It's to those who understand who Jesus is and what He did for us that celebrate so much on this day. I pray that if you are a regular here, that you are a regular somewhere. I know a lot of you guys travel in for Easter to see family. I'm going to encourage you. You make sure next week you're somewhere worshiping God. That you're somewhere in God's Word growing closer to Him. Because brothers and sisters, you've got somebody who loves you enough to die for you. Reach out to Him. I hope you have a blessed week. Let me remind you of two things. If you're a believer, you have a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. And you have a mission that your God gave you to go make disciples that love God, love people, and follow Jesus. So get to it. I love you guys. Have a great week. Happy Easter.